The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Influencer's Edge. Today, we have a very special guest, not only because he's a super talented salesperson and sales trainer with a long history, but he also happens to be someone who's trained me in the past. And so, in addition to being super talented, he, I have to say, he is one of the kindest, most warm-hearted people in the whole biz. There are plenty of talented people, but my own personal experience is they're not always good-hearted, but Eric, I can say that Eric Lawholm, my guest today, is one of the kindest people I've ever met, inside or outside of sales. So thank you for having that special quality and being such a good teacher and a coach. Let me give your biography, if I could. Sounds so great. Eric, Eric Lawholm has taught his proven sales system to thousands of professionals around the world. He is president and CEO not CE, excuse me, I'm human, CEO of Eric Lawholm International, an organization he founded to professionally train people on the art and science of selling. From working with Tony Robbins, I want to talk to you briefly about that, to sharing the stage with a who's who of speakers at the Get Motivated seminars, Eric has used his own successful sales background to develop programs to help anyone dramatically improve in all areas to contribute to increasing their income, and their happiness. And I will also say, you have, correct me if this is incorrect, 25 years in commission sales. Is that correct? It's even a little bit longer. I started in commission sales in uh, 1992. So it's been well over two and a half decades, and, uh, and I love it. Let me ask you, before we go any further, so when someone has done something for, so, for such a long period of time, and they stay passionate about it. I'm sure people always ask, how did you get into this? How did you get started? We could dive into that a little bit. But I like to ask different kinds of questions on the influencer's edge. One of them is, how do you stay passionate about it? 25 plus years is a long time to stay passionate about doing something and teaching something. How do you stay passionate and so invested in it? Uh, for me, it's a calling. And so when you do something that you feel that you're called to do and uh, you know you're making a difference in other people's lives and um, it's, I don't really think of it as work. Uh, it's just something that I do and um, I really, really enjoy it. And I love watching people become more successful. I know that to be true from working with you personally, but I had to ask it. Made over 10 
thousand sales and wow, generated over 10,000 referrals, made over a hundred thousand cold calls. Of those 100,000 cold calls, you had to deal with a lot of no's and a lot of rejections. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not someone who's talking through his rear. He's, he's been in the trenches. So, wow, let's talk about that. Let's jump into that. 100,000 cold calls. So how did you go up the learning curve? First of all, how in the world does someone stay motivated to keep picking up the phone when people hang up on you? And tell us how you, first of all, how you develop that system or techniques that you have. Tell us how you did that and how you developed it and how we do it. Well, when I started off in phone sales, uh, I was terrible at selling. And uh, I, but even though I was bad at it, I could still do it, right? I just keep making call after call after call. And and I just kept continuously getting rejected. Um, what kept me motivated and focused was keeping my eye on the prize. You know, I've always been very goal focused. And so I didn't focus on the nose. I focused on whatever my outcome was. And, uh, you know, you start doing something and the more you do it, the better you get. And then I sought out um, professional coaches and I had the, the privilege of being coached by somebody who we both know, Dr. Donald Boyne. Yes. Um, he's been my coach uh, since 1994. I still coach with him to this day. So he's one of many coaches that I've had. So I've had elite coaching and I've studied the best of the best through their books, their audios, people like Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins, and then just a lot of life experience uh, from being in the trenches and selling. Let's get back. Let me roll it back a little bit to something you said. You keep your eyes on the prize. And so the question that arises from that is how? How do you do it? What is your specific method for keeping your eyes on the prize? Particularly when someone just swore you out or cussed you out and hung the phone up on you. So how do you do that? Well, after making so many calls, um, in the beginning, I had to kind of psych myself up to do the calls, right? But then I, I learned something different and it had to do with how I framed the call. So most people think about sales as a, hey, I make the, I do the prospecting and I get, I get rejected, right? And so like, ugh, they're like receiving a blow, right? Or I deliver a sales presentation. They say, no, it's like, ugh, I'm receiving a blow. And I changed it to when I prospect, I win. And when I book the appointment, I double win. I win no matter what. When I deliver a sales presentation, I win. When I make the sale, I double win. I win no matter what. And so I don't have all of this absorbing of energy and that simple switch allows me to fearlessly, boldly prospect anyone. I noticed you, you, you talk to some interesting things that we'll get to, but I noticed you actually make a physical movement. Yeah. And have you, how did you get the idea to not just say it with the voice in your head, but to do the physical movement? Um, it has to do with the distinction between an affirmation and a declaration. So to oh. me, an affirmation is words like um, I am lean and fit or I am a top producer. Right. And I can say those words, but a declaration is a way of being. So am I being lean and fit? In other words, are my actions consistent with the statement? I am lean and fit. And so one of the things I found is that many people identify with 
I am my harshest critic. And they say that as a way of being. They're living into that story of they are their harshest critic, or I'm, I'm really hard on myself. And what I learned to do, I wasn't born this way, but I learned to be my number one cheerleader as a declaration, not an affirmation, a way of being. So I like to physically pat myself in the back, acknowledge myself, and be my number one cheerleader. If I'm being my number one cheerleader, then I have no negative self-talk because I wouldn't, if I'm my number one cheerleader, I wouldn't be talking negatively to myself, which in my experience is how many people, maybe even most, um, talk to themselves. I think that's true in every context of people's lives. I don't, whether that's hardwired or something that we learned from our parents or it's pervasive in society, that's something that everyone is is faced with when you say that you okay so when you say keep your eyes on the prize i get the motivation but do you literally i know you write down your goals correct yes do you visualize having your life the way you want it to be yes when you do that visualization is it a daily practice or how, how specifically do you do it? Because I've interviewed different people, and I suspect as I continue to build this show out, we will continue to have people with a similar message. How do you do that? So one of my recent realizations has to do um, with inputs. And so you're, you're asking about the question, how do you keep your eye on the prize? Well, the cliche is you get what you focus on. And if you think about, focusing on what you want to create instead of focusing on what you don't want. If you think about it as a muscle, like going to the gym, if I want to go to the gym and lift the weights, I get stronger or I get on the treadmill and I, you know, decrease my body fat, I get in shape. Well, how do we do that with our mindset? And it has to do with what is it that you're consciously focusing on? And if you really work on an optimistic mindset, you can crowd out negative thinking. And one of the ways I started doing this is with a morning routine. And I haven't quite got it to every single day, but I do it most days. And um, it's a four to 12 minute routine. And that includes one to three minutes on my written goals, one to three minutes on my declarations, which are I am statements, um, one to three minutes on what I call the resume exercise. And then one to three minutes of mirror work where I look in the mirror, I make eye contact with myself, and I say, I love you. And what I figured is this. Most people hear a sincere I love you zero to five times a month. I'm giving that to myself regularly 15 to 20 times a day. So I'm feeding my soul, and I'm consciously focusing my thoughts on positive things, including my goals. And I do it as a morning routine. And there's other times I do it as well. And I found that you, if you think about your mindset as a muscle and you're being consciously aware of what it is that you're choosing to put into your mind, that that can make a huge difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's now go to some specific techniques that you teach. I know you teach, I remember this from attending one of your seminars, the sales pyramid. Can we talk a little bit about the sales pyramid? I think it's genius. It's simple. It's not something that requires rocket science. It does require consistency and work. Tell us about the sales pyramid. 
Yeah, so you, you got the distinction, a slightly different name, same concept, Sales Mountain. I'm sorry. Sales no Sales problem. Mountain. So um, what I figured out was in delivering an effective sales presentation, in most cases, it's a repetitive presentation. So the real estate agents delivering a listing presentation again and again and again, the loan officers delivering a, the loan presentation, the network marketers delivering the recruiting presentation. And so there's an outline as a best practice for delivering that presentation. And my belief is why not document that outline? And so I, I teach it like this, the sales mountain, it starts off at the base of the mountain with lead generation. And then it's appointment setting, trust and rapport, identify needs, we're moving up the mountain, identify customer needs, close objection handling, and then follow up is on the opposite side of the mountain. And so it provides a framework that's simple and it's duplicatable. And then what I teach my students is to customize their sales mountain based on what it is that they're selling. Let's talk about identifying customer needs. And then I have another question that comes from that. There's some people, I'm not going to judge it, some of my guests and one of my mentors who said, look, when you find out what your customer's needs are, you have to look for the pain. You have to identify the pain. And he says, and this may be a, quote, black hat, close quote, technique. He says, you got to press down on the pain just a little bit. Get them to see the consequences down the line if they don't fix the problem. It's not just something where you show them they have the pain in the moment, but somehow you've got to ask them or inquire from them, what is this going to be like if you don't fix this down the road? And you position yourself, honestly position yourself as the person who's in that gap who can help, help them bridge across. Can you comment on that about when you identify customers' needs, how much of this is making them face the pain of what those needs are costing them currently and costing them, going to cost them in the future? How do you do that humanely, if indeed that's what you do? Well, what, what motivates human beings is, Tony Robbins says, uh, gaining pleasure and avoiding pain. Uh, and NLP, moving towards what you want, moving away from what you don't right. want. Or just good old-fashioned carrot and stick. Right. So in identifying needs, um, it's not just the pain. I mean, that's the stick, but it's also the carrot. So it's looking for a want, a need, or a problem. And as far as, you know, how do you do that humanely, it, it really has to do with what's your state of being when you're communicating with this human being. So my state of being when I sell is serving. So if I'm communicating with somebody about, you know, I sell sales training, so I'm going to sell a sales training program, I'm going to show up as service for this person. And I want to get them connected to what are the benefits if you get professional sales training, you can be the top producer, you can make more money, you can become debt free. What are the consequences if you don't get professional sales training? Well, you might not be able to buy that house that you want, or you may stay in debt the rest of your life, you might get fired from your job. So it's both carrot and the stick. And um, there are just certain honest things that you can point out to another person to get them connected to how they would benefit from sales training and what would the con consequences be if they didn't do it. And uh, my way of being would be a, a, from a place of service. That's how I get, that's how I have, my experience of you has always been that you are on way, way on the side of that spectrum of being of service. It shows just 
in your energy, how you're showing up today and in your voice tone and in your smile and in your genuineness. Is that a word? Genuineness? I don't know. <laughs> Haven't had my, my coffee all morning. I get you. So when it comes to dealing with, when it comes to presenting the carrot, one of the techniques I think I learned from you is this, and correct me if this is incorrect, is to future pace the person, is to take them into a future and say, all right, how long do you expect to be in sales? Uh, another 10 years. So if you added another $100,000 a year, what would that be in 10 years? A million, is that your technique? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll look at if, if the product or service has a lifetime benefit, you know, let's look at what really is the real value of what it is that you're offering. If somebody was offering uh, ways that people could improve their marriage, you know, the, the sale would be, hey, you do my program and this is going to help your marriage every day for the rest of your lives together. So, you right. know, if you guys can see yourself living another 25 years, you know, my six week course would help you for the next 25 years. So that's that would be a, an excellent way to communicate the benefits. I've learned from other coaches that you have to answer these questions. Does it work? Will it work for me? How quickly can I expect to see results? That second question, will it work for me, is where I find that there's a, a challenge because a lot of people just have so much self-doubt, doubt, doubting their own ability to make a good decision. That It's not just a matter of no like and trusting you. They have to trust themselves that they can do whatever you're selling or that they can make it work or will work for them. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you meet that challenge of getting them to trust, not just trust you. We can get into those rapport techniques, but we will. We'll circle back. What is your method of getting them to trust themselves? Uh, Two things come to mind. Um, One is storytelling. And telling them a story of somebody like them uh, that got results. Maybe they tried something in the past. They tried several things. Nothing ever worked. And then they bought my product. And all of a sudden, it worked for the first time ever. So they can see themselves in the story. Um, Another one that I've taught to people selling um, network marketing. Because if somebody's going to start a business, they're going to have to believe that they can do it. And so it's a hypnotic, repetitive technique where you say in the presentation, you know, if, if you can post on Facebook, you can do this business. If you can send an email, you can do this business. If you can, you know, touch and such, then you can do this business. And so you're, you're repeatedly saying the statement, the direct command, you can do this business. And so that's a, another technique. Uh, but you make a really valid point that the person is going to have to go, yeah, I could, I could see how this, this could work for me. You're doing, I just want to point out that you're doing, I'm, you probably learned this from Dr. Moyne, who I, I've got to get on the show, which is repeating the suggestion multiple times. And hypnosis, as you know, we call this the law of compound suggestion. Each time you make the suggestion, it increases the power of the previous time and sets up the power of the next one. You do it three times and that suggestion will slide right in. So I really like how you do that in a very humane point from a humane point and 
also you do it in a way that's delivered with love. It can be delivered in a way that's uh, not so loving, but you deliver it with love. And my observation about you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in some sense for you, selling is a form of loving someone. It's, it's, uh, it's not eros, but it's, um, I don't know what the word is in Greek. It's uh, a Christian word, a Greek word. Do you know what I'm aiming at? I, I don't know the word, but what, what I really am is a teacher. And I happen to teach sales because I met Dr. Moyne in the, in the early 1990s. And, you know, I, I believe he's the best in the world at what it is that he does. And so yeah. I learned all these advanced techniques. Now, I've never studied hypnosis and some of the techniques that I use. I don't even know the names of them. Just yeah. by being around Dr. Moyne, I learned them. And what I really love to do is teach. And, you know, there's millions of people that sell for a living. And if they get better at their craft, they can have a a better life. And so to me, it's really about helping people uh, have a more successful life, teaching them different ways of thinking. Um, There's there's so much um, resistance that people have to sales because there's a stigma to sales. So you got a human being who they sell for a living, but maybe they're uncomfortable in their own skin with the idea of selling. And that right. that's a tough, that's a tough situation. And so I like to help them undo that worldview and release that stigma, embrace selling, and then go out and serve people with their products and services that they're marketing. So it's very rewarding for me. And um, it is a, a form of, of loving another human being, of, yes. ser- of serving them. Right. And, uh, and I, I love that. Let's talk about one of the big pieces that's also part of your sales mountain, which is overcoming objections. One of the things that I've learned in teaching selling and also my sales career is often the prospect doesn't know what their objection is. They really may not know. So it's a matter of getting them to a point where they have to be open to exploring it without appearing stupid. It's no one wants to seem as if they're stupid to someone else. So what are some of your, what's first of all, your interpretation of what's going on when an objection arises, what is actually going on and how do you best handle objections? Well, I think of it in terms of patterns. So if I get to the end of a presentation and I ask the prospect to buy from me, the pattern is they're either going to say yes they're going to say no, or they're going to give me an objection. So that's totally predictable. And if they give me an objection, in some cases, they're still not going to buy, but in some cases, they are going to buy. So then the question is, what's that pattern of communication? So I ask for the order and I'm silent. Are you ready to move forward? And it's like giving them a hot potato. And then they say, well, the price is too high. So now I have the hot potato. So there's a whole conversation that takes place after you ask for the order and the prospect gives that objection, the price is too high, or I got to talk it over with my wife or whatever it is that they say. And so it's just really, I guess, mastering that conversation, the conversation that takes place after you ask for the order, and then they give the objection. And it's just learning that pattern of that back and forth. And I call that back and forth elegantly dancing with the prospect. I <laughs> love that metaphor. <laughs> What is your typical, when someone says the price is too high, what, what are some of your typical responses? 
to that one. Yeah. So one pattern is to handle an objection with a question. So when you say too high, how much too much is it? And then that puts it back on them. Right. Or another one is, is that your only concern? So we can ask a question. We can um, make a statement. Tell me more about that. Now, what's beautiful about tell me more about that is it works for virtually any objection. So they say, well, I have to talk it over with my wife. Well, tell me more about that. Uh, the timing isn't right. Oh, tell me more about that. So it kind of, it buys you some time. How Are you ready to move forward? Eric, I need to think about it. Oh, okay. Well, tell me more about that. And once you've internalized that in your mind, you're going to be likely just calm knowing, okay, I got that one. Is that your only concern? Right. And so question, uh, uh, tell me more about that, that statement. Um, isolate is another one of my favorite simple techniques other than talking over with your wife. Is there anything else preventing you from moving forward? And that language pattern can be used for virtually any objection. So other than blank, other than the time, other than the money, other than your spouse, other than, is there anything else preventing you from moving forward? And once you internalize that technique, you've just got it there. And then, um, another common one is to tell a story. I love that. Let me share a story with you about a client I worked with. They had the exact same concern as you and they ended up moving forward and then you could reclose. So in that banter back and forth, you're going to either communicate and give them the hot potato back or give them the hot potato back and then reclose. So at some point we've got to re-ask for the order. So you can tell a story. Let me share a story with you about a client that a similar situation. Here's what they did. They moved forward. I think this would be perfect for you. What do you say we move forward? And you just reclose and then you're silent. And then they're going to, now you're back into, they're going to say yes, no, or give an objection. In some cases though, that's going to close the sale. One of the key things you said throughout the various questions that you would bring up, is that your only concern? Is that uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, not blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Forgive me. I need my coffee. That's my, that's my fault. <laughs> You said the person, or maybe it was Dr. Moyne, because I did go to an event that you both saw in Orange County. I believe it was you who said the person with the best script wins. Is that correct? Was that you? Yeah, I think it was Dr. Moyne. All right, but you agree with that position. Yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes people give an objection and it's just their pattern. They just, no matter what you say, oh, I need to think about it without even thinking about it. It's not like they're consciously choosing that. They're just, that's their go-to response, right. right? I need to talk it over with my wife when they're the decision maker. And so if we can just have the conversation after we've asked for the order and they give an objection, we can just get comfortable standing in that space and not having it be awkward. Because sometimes they'll say, after you've gone back and forth a little bit, they'll go, can I be honest with you? And you're like, uh, sure. I'm actually meeting with another realtor tomorrow. And so that's really what's going on. And you go, oh, okay. Well, if you weren't meeting with the realtor tomorrow, yes. uh, would you want to use me today? Uh, yeah, I would. Great. Well, how about this? I'll call the realtor and cancel the appointment. And we can just, I'll save you the time. And you close the sale. I love the suggestion at the end. Uh, if you weren't meeting with that realtor, would you, would you be eager to, to go with me today or eager to close with me today? I love that. The suggestion, would you be eager to act? So you're embedding, you're, you're embedding the suggestions without even, you do it because you've been doing it for so long. And I have said 
Sales is a combination of service and suggestion. You've got to be able to do both. And I think you're a great living example of that. Yeah, and if you come from that service place, people can feel that. So, you know, if you talk to people that, that buy from me and you ask them, what was the experience like? In almost every case, they're going to give you, hey, it was a really pleasant experience. They wanted to buy from me. I was, I'm, I'm selling hope. I'm selling optimism. I'm selling a more positive future. And so when people are purchasing, really that's what they're buying is they're buying a better future in, in this case for their, their sales skills. And so it's, um, you know, there's different languaging things that we can learn that kind of cause people to say yes. But if we're just focusing on really serving the human being, they're going to feel that. And they're, they're going to really enjoy that buying process. And there's a good chance they're going to buy from you again and again and again. And they're going to refer you other clients. Excellent. Now, what is the, you wrote a book. What's the name of your book, sir? I have the system. I have sales scripting mastery and continuous sales improvement are my three main books. Okay. I want to make sure that goes in the show notes. Anything else that you think would be useful to add today in terms of people continuing to have the mindset of a sales champion? How do you, let's circle back. How do you define a sales champion as opposed to really good? In your mind, what is a champion? Well, I I think using the word champion has to do with um, self-image and what we're striving for. You know, I was coaching a woman the other day and I said, what what do you need to learn to move the needle in your business? And she said, I got to get better follow-up. So here's what I said to her. I said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you just to master follow-up. She's a franchise consultant, which is like a real estate agent for franchises. Right. I said, Anna, I want you to become the number one franchise consultant, not just at your company, in the world at follow-up. Wow. And I want you to look at it from the place of uh, technology. What would the technology be for the number one franchise consultant in the world? What would the mindset be? What would the actions be? of the number one franchise consultant in the area of follow-up. And I was creating this concept in her mind that she could step in and become that. And the reality is she would probably be the only person in the world even trying to become that because no one else is thinking about becoming the number one follow-up expert in in franchise consulting on the planet. So she could, number one, win by default. But number two, most people aren't thinking in those terms. And I learned this because when I was 28 years old, I'm 51 now. When I was 28, I said, I want to become the Zig Ziglar of my generation. I want to become the top sales trainer in the world of my generation. And so by taking on that mindset, that's how I was able to build an international training company. And it's not about comparison. It's not comparing me to Dr. Moyne or me to you or me to Brian Tracy or me to anybody. It's more about who I'm choosing to be and striving to be. So if somebody's watching this right now or listening to this, you could decide how you want to show up in your business and, and think in a different way than you've ever thought before. Think of Anna with follow-up, but what would it be for you? Maybe for you, it's Facebook ads, or maybe for you, it's email marketing, or maybe for you, it's closing. Pull out follow-up, put in whatever's important to you and strive to be the best of the world at that, not as a comparison, but as a way of being, and that likely will transform your results. I think this is an interesting bit of alchemy to look at someone who's very successful and rather than compare, 
draw inspiration, draw learning, draw motivation. That's a form of uh, psychological and even spiritual alchemy that's a big piece, I think. I know in the past I have struggled with looking at people who I had perceived in that moment or maybe even have been more successful financially in their business or in their sales and feeling bad about myself. Then I learned through my own techniques that I've created to say, no, bless the success of this person and may they continue to prosper and grow in their prosperity. And I now surrender any right to compare myself to that person. Instead, I draw inspiration and learning and motivation and where possible mentorship and venturing. And that has made a world of difference to instead of comparing and diving into envy to turn to blessing other people and claiming learning and claiming motivation from others. You bring, my experience of you is you bring a very spiritual element to what you do. Uh, This is just my observation and my experience. Am I on target with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I get it that you're a person of faith and that that, informs a lot of how you walk through the world. Yeah, I don't, I believe God has his hand on my business. And I don't believe that I would be where I am in the world today if that wasn't true. You know, most small businesses fail. I've been at this now for 23 plus years, and I've had the, the opportunity to build a global company and work with amazing people. And uh, I, part of it is I don't, um, I, I just do my absolute best to take action on a daily basis that I believe is in alignment with what God wants me to do. I think it's beautiful and that you're willing to share that with my audience is a very valuable, maybe the most valuable thing that you've shared today. I want to thank you, Eric Lawholm, for being on the show. How can people continue, and this is something you taught me, to stay in the conversation, to stay in the conversation is one of the, before we even conclude, let's talk about that just for a second. Because it came to my mind to bring that up. What do you, I know what you mean by it, but I want you to tell my audience, what do you mean by staying in the conversation and why is this so important? Yeah, it's actually my number one distinction. And it's what I've chosen to do with Dr. Moyne, who's my sales mentor. And I've been Ah. in the conversation with him since the 1990s and he still coaches me. And I will stay in the conversation with Dr. Moyne for the rest of my life. And I've done this with my top mentors, people like Jay Abraham, Brian Tracy. And so what I encourage my students to do is to say, hey, we're in a, like right now, all of you listening, you're in a conversation with Paul and myself. And I would encourage you to stay in this conversation, continue to listen to future podcasts. If you want to stay in the conversation with me, the best way to do that is just find me online. I'm the only Eric Lofholm on the planet. So if you Google Eric Lofholm, that's me. And I'm on all the social media. So if you're an Instagram person, find me there. If you're a Facebook, if you're a YouTube, and uh, my website's ericloffhome.com if you want to be on my, my mail list. So just Google me, however you like to connect with trainers, whichever social media platform, that would be the one that I'd recommend that you connect with me on. Eric, thank you for being such a special guest on the Influencers Edge. I've learned a lot. I would encourage my audience to watch and or listen to this episode multiple times. Thank you for being on the show, my friend. It's it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. 
The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909. 741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack of sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on The Influencers Edge Show.